0: Okay, as we considered this morning, these seven churches and the the emphasis on the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is standing in the midst of the churches and he's watching, watching ever so carefully to see how things are ordered out in those churches. And there is an order in, church, in, in, in his church, isn't there? This is just a, oh, we'll just do it the way we feel like and and, uh, well, you can do it your way, we'll do it our way, and everybody does it their way. And yet the Scriptures give us a very close order to follow. And so he's watching us as we're in these churches, and we're he's watching that order, isn't he? Ephesus, where they lost their first love. And we've got to be very careful that that we don't lose our first love. We, we can replace it with so many things. There's so many things in the church that, we can replace it with programs and 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 just busyness, just overall busy. Just keep busy. Keep so busy that we forget the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ said to us, This do in remembrance of me, tell like why. Because of that very fact. That he knows we got a propensity, we we, we, we have this in us to to forget him. And so there, there's why I really have, uh, you know, I, I know that there's some churches do things differently, and they, you know, they have the the their what they would call their communion service or breaking of bread every month or sometimes every six months. And I don't know about that. Seems to me that that you'd want to do that as oft as you could, because we need to be reminded, don't we? We need to be brought back to our center to become centered again around the Lord Jesus Christ and not allow him to get away. And it seems like all throughout these seven churches that, that seems to be the emphasis that that it's so easy for humanity and our own natural selves to, to veer off track, so to speak, and, and and get away from our center. And the center in the head is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's he's the head of the church. Ephesus was definitely uh persecuted but the next church was definitely persecuted Smyrna, and we we spoke about that, and, and, and the fact that they they were able to to grow and blossom. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, the, the idea wasn't that they all ran. And the church didn't grow. It was one of the strongest growth periods uh, during this particular uh, portion of history right here in the, in the church of Smyrna. And so uh, persecution, it, it doesn't uh, often cause us to run. It, it often causes us to draw near. And again, there, there was no problem with hypocrites in the church. Because if you claim the name of Christ, you could be in the lion's den tomorrow. So there, there, there was there was some real sincerity. There's some real realness, some realness about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as they came together. And so s- s- Satan centered himself there at Ephesus, there at Smyrna, and and there in that period of time, and and placed within the hearts of the Roman emperors this this this. Uh, this almost supernatural hatred for the Christians. There was this this man named Diocletian. He was the last of the the Roman emperors before Constantine. And and, and they say that that he was worse than Nero in his hatred toward the Christians and the things that, that, that he actually did. Some of those things were just awful that I read they're they're really just a, a revelation of our own being though really we we can't distance ourselves from that uh but for the grace of god so i go there you know we we are the same there's something within the natural man that that revels in 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 watching someone else being hurt being abused it's only the love of god that changes that we by our very nature have that same propensity and that's that's why what they did is they they gathered in amphitheaters these these giant like stadiums like huge some of those in Rome, and and they would watch this kind of thing that that's that's what they'd watch as they tossed individuals to wild beasts and watched the wild beasts just tear them into pieces right before their very eyes it's our own human nature isn't it it's in our own hearts so Ephesus, Smyrna, and then we have Pergamos. And I want to spend some time on Pergamos, and I want to spend some time on Philadelphia and Laodicea as we uh, go through as well. Pergamos, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 12. And and here's where I have to introduce this uh, idea, and I, I don't know whether I hold to it or not completely, But some say that these seven churches are are basically an overlay of the whole church period. And that each of these churches is really representative of a certain period of history that goes right up to today. I'm not sure I'm with that, against that. I, I don't know what to think anymore. Some are for it, some are not. But a lot of good Bible teachers and good scholars do tend to believe that. Ephesus, A.D. 30 to 100. Then you have Smyrna, 100 to 312. And then from 312 to 606 A.D. was Pergamos, the one we'll consider this evening. And then Thyatira is 590 to 1517, the Dark Ages. And then Sardius was 1517 to 1790, And that was the lifeless church. And then Philadelphia, 1730 to 1900. And that's where there was this great push towards missions and getting out and evangelizing the world. They were a little behind what was going on initially in the church. Uh, And then Laodicea, 1900, all the way to the day of which we live in. Like I say, I don't know if I totally agree with that or, or hold to that, but... Nonetheless, it's there for your consideration. And now Pergamos, let's read that portion if we could, starting at verse number 12 of chapter 2, and it says, unto to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath a sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, and thou holdest fast my name. And as did not and not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you, where Satan dwells. but I have a few things against thee, because thou hast uh there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam and taught Balak to cast the stumbling stone before the children of Israel and to eat things. Uh, sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saveth he that receiveth it. And so we have Pergamos. And and many would say that, that the name Pergamos means uh, in elevation of marriage. So Satan started with this, with this theory that uh, if we beat them long enough, if we make them suffer long enough, if we torture them, if they see their brothers and sisters dying and their, their families being torn ab- apart by this trial and tribulation, they're going to run and this thing will disband itself and I'll be back in control and there won't be this Christianity anymore. It didn't work. It simply didn't work. It actually caused the whole thing to spread that much more fervently. And so it seems in Pergamos, around 312, after these tyrants, uh, uh, the, the Roman empires, the ten tyrants uh, that, that ruled Rome at that time, and they were tyrants. They were terrible, some of the things they did to the Christians. In came a man King C- called Constantine. Now I, I think that name probably rings true to most of us. And Constantine, he did—he didn't just uh, wasn't able to just come into the uh, the throne of, of of Rome and and take over as emperor. There was another man who vied against him. His name was Maxentius. And after uh, Diocletian's. Had passed off the scene, these two began to battle for Rome, for the throne of Rome and History has it that as they battled, it seemed the battle was going one way and the other way, and no one really got the advantage of of either one and Suddenly, Constantine got this great vision in the sky as he was battling one one afternoon, and it was of a, of a burning cross. And looking at this burning cross, he, he was told these words. In this vision, conquer. And so Constantine went on then to defeat Maxineus. And he took over the throne of, of Rome at that particular time, the Roman throne. And what he did after that was very interesting. It's all part of Satan's great plan. He figured that cross looked like the cross that the, the Christians have. And so he figured what this was, was that these Christians had the answers. And he made Rome a Christian state. And all initially, as you look at this whole thing, you say, well, that's great, isn't it? I mean, that, that's what we want. We want uh, Rome to be Christian and, and, and we'll go on and, 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 and do the will of God. Nothing could be worse, really, than what had transpired here. This, this marriage, this elevation of marriage, which Pergamos means, that, that basically married Rome to the church. And hence we had things like the, the Roman Catholic Church that came out of this. And Constantine uh, took control, basically, and he, and he put his, his throne very, very high in this whole thing. There was even a, 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 um, a, a disagreement about the, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether he was really God or not. And this disagreement became all widespread around the particular area. And there was a name, man named Arius who came along, and, and he was a very brilliant man, a tremendous uh, brainchild, so to speak. And, and there was a consul at Nisi at that time to determine whether the Lord Jesus Christ was really the God of gods or whether he was just in substance God, as was portrayed by Arius. And Constantine reigned over this whole thing. And he was sort of like the final judge. I don't even believe he's even saved. And so you have this terrible merging of the church and the state. And it was tremendously damaging. They say that a Herman monk from Africa, from Northern Africa, came in under this consul as uh, Ares was actually uh, getting the best, as far as the argument was concerned. He was a very brilliant man, and this monk came forward and he was he was uh, he was clothed in in animal skins and he stood before the consul and then he took off his animal skins and he showed on his back. Tremendous scars where an animal had just raked his back because he had been fed to the lions. He said, I could stand it no more. I could stand no more this heresy. This is indeed, he said, the Lord Jesus Christ is God. These scars, he said, were not given for just an ordinary man. They were given for the Son of God. The God who is indeed God. And the whole council took that as being from God. Those words were from the Spirit of God. And they deemed the Lord Jesus Christ as God. You would think all these things were good. <clears throat> it says uh, that they held fast my name. Maybe that's what it was referring to. They, they held fast my name. But I have a few things against you, he said. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel and eat things sacrificed unto idols. The things that came out of this this whole thing of this marriage between the state, Rome, and 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 Christianity, and and how it ultimately uh, followed into the Roman Catholic Church, and and all kinds of strange things as they they took idolatrous worship and they kind of blended in with Christianity is what they did. Things that came out of Babylon idolatry that poured out of Babylon. They took and they mixed it with Christianity, so to speak. And you got this strange mix. They do it in in Cuba. They do it in South America as well, as they take Catholicism, Catholic religion, and they begin to blend in some of the idolatrous worship. And you get some very, very strange things of which disturb God terribly. extreme unction and praying for the dead and worshiping of saints. The Eastern Orthodox at that time, they said, well, we've got more saints as far as their graves than you guys do, you Roman Catholics. And believe it or not, they started battling over finding the apostles' body. As though there'd be some sort of a, a strange blessing that would come out of that. We have more bodies than you. Kind of a thing. So, you can see what they were doing. is They were taking pure Christianity that the, 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 the folks in Ephesus knew well about. Those in Smyrna died for. The Lord Jesus Christ bled for. And they began to whip in Idolatry. It was devastating. Absolutely. Devastating. And you say, Well, that was then, this is now. (laughs) What was then is now. It's still going on. We have the priests that you go in under the priests and you confess your sins as though there's a mediator to God. That's old idolatry being brought in and and, and claimed as Christianity is what it is. It's a dangerous mix. A completely dangerous mix. Praying to Mary. Uh, Those who who would worship and and, and the priests would lead in, in the Latin language only. and Half the people in the place didn't even understand Latin. The Word of God being kept from people. You don't need to to, to read that because you need instruction as to how to understand that, you see. Constantine did us no favors. Constantine introduced to us a, a, a bizarre kind of a, and basically, he held himself up very high and esteemed himself in all that. He says, you, you have <clears throat> I have a few things against you because they're uh, them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols. found out something very interesting. Let's see if anybody knows. I didn't. Where's Balaam from? I didn't know this. He's from Babylon, Mesopotamia. And so... Balaam came out of Babylon. Now, it, it, I, I want you to see this, this, this whole thing and, and I'm just throwing it out sort as of conjecture you know, I, I, for you to think about a little bit. What happened in Babylon initially? Well, it was the Tower of Babel, wasn't it? And you had Nimrod and, and his mother as they, as they began to uh, build this tower where they could reach God. Basically what they wanted to do was push God out of the way. It's the first form of idolatry, isn't it? And then it went, went on to be the seat of the Babylonian Empire and Nebuchadnezzar and all the evil. And, and who did they take and, and, and bring under their control? The nation of Israel. And here we have Balaam and the doctrine of Balaam. And you know, Balaam was, was hired by Balak and Balak was going to make him a wealthy man. For filthy lucre, he was, he was asked to prophesy against Israel. And Balaam said, man, that's the easiest buck I'll ever make. So he did. He began to prophesy. But God took control of his voice. And instead of cursing Israel, he ends up blessing Israel. Once, twice, three times. Because God is in control. He was a false prophet is what he was. He wasn't a real prophet. He was a false prophet. But God said, you will not curse my people. And then Balaam said this, you know what, Balak? You have some beautiful women over there. You have some beautiful women over there in in Moab, and and, and you just bring those women over, and, and we can do this in an altogether different way. Why, we'll just introduce those women and and they'll intermarry. What God hates. What God absolutely hates. And the nation of Israel fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. Oh, you see that it was the, the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Now you see the comparisons between what Constantine did and what Balaam suggested to Balak to do. Well, we couldn't get in one way. Let's try this other way. And so you can see how Christianity was was drugged down you see, what, what happened during Pergamos is, is, is Constantine said, this is now the state religion, Christianity. Oh, to embrace Christianity. I will defend the Christians now. Instead of slaughtering them, I am going to defend them. You see, Christianity was exalted and, and, and given a high place. They, they went from the, the Colosseums being torn apart by animals right to the throne room. Was it good? It was the worst thing that could have ever happened. And what essentially happened was the church had, had lost their, their desire for the second coming of the Lord. Oh, let me tell you about this. The believers in Smyrna, they were praying daily, Lord, come quickly. And, and now what, what they say is, uh, oh, the Lord must have came. Why, well, the millennium? We're in the millennium. We, everything is going great. We're accepted by the people around us. They, 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 they're claiming the name of Christ. this We're in the millennium. They no longer had any view of hope. You see what Satan did? This deception of Balaam. It's like, I couldn't get in one day. I'll go, I'll go in the other door. That door's closed. I grabbed this door. And that's exactly what he did. He opened this other door. And and now all of Christianity was 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 losing their hope. Losing their place. They felt that those, well, they could sing this world is my home. I'm just a loving it. This world is my home. This is great. Well, it's not. It's not the will of God, is it? You can see how they were deceived through all that, and there was a stumbling block before the children of Israel. In that case, there was a stumbling block for the for the Christians, whether Jew or Gentile. There was a stumbling block being cast in their way, and they ate the the things sacrificed to idols and committed fornication. Uh, so hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of Nicolaitan. Now this is mentioned also in the church of Ephesus. And if you go back to there, you're going to find out that it says the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Hmm. Now all of a sudden it's a doctrine of the Nicolaitans. That's an interesting change because what they had there is it it was sort of in its, uh, its infancy, so to speak. It hadn't really taken hold. It was just the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And now all of a sudden it becomes a doctrine got to write this thing out man we got to we got to show what it's all about now it's difficult to understand you can't really put a hand right on what they're talking about with these nicolaitans there's very little given in history about them but i do believe there's some answers that, that that dwell right within the name nicolaitan and and even uh, uh, chapter one of the Revelation, I think, gives us some hints because of what is talked about. That Nicolaitan. The root word is of Nico is Nike. It's, it means to conquer over, to be superior over. So you, you know when you when you when you run a race with your Nike shoes, you're always going to win. Isn't that great? you could wait you can weigh, uh, weigh three hundred and fifty pounds and be five foot eight you're going to win put on those shoes you got it conquer over that's what that's what we 're talking about Nico and then the laity so if you put it all together it means to conquer over be over the laity now what was transpiring here was that that the, the, the church was being inundated uh with this with this idea that that the state and the church they're not one. We've come together. And so there were priests being introduced. And there were mediators being introduced. And there were positions being given of, of high standing and rank in the church. And you're given this, and you know, you've got you've got that position, you've got and 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 God never intended it that way in the church that he gave the Lord Jesus Christ. To conquer over, in other words, the the, the leaders would then keep in submissive the laity. Now, I, w- I want you to go back to chapter number one. And I think it's alluded to. Because chapter number 1 of the Revelation and starting at verse number 4. Now listen to what he talks about here because I think this is exactly uh, what had already been cleared up when it came to the church of our Lord Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven Spirits which are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the Prince of the kings of the earth unto Him that loved us and washed us uh, from our sins in His own blood. Now listen to this verse, number 6. And hath made us Now, the King James says kings and priests. It's actually a kingdom of priests. That's that's a poor translation. A kingdom of priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, the church is based on this principle that it has a head. That head is the Lord Jesus Christ and there is no other. And, And here we have mentioned the priesthood... Of all believers. In other words, the veil in the temple was rent from the top down to the bottom when the Lord Jesus Christ finished the work at Calvary's cross. Now you can see what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to say that there is a higher form of being called clergy, and the clergy then rules over the laity. What does this scripture say? This scripture basically says that we all have access. Every human being has access. Satan says, no, 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 I'm going to try to take that away. Everything that God does, Satan will come right behind and want to snatch away from it. And that's exactly what was taking place here. Now I want you to notice something very, very important when it comes to this Nicolaitan. Of this, it says, I hate. And that's the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no place in all of Scripture where the Lord Jesus Christ says, He says, he, you know, there's, there's, the word hate is mentioned, but not that He hates something. He only mentions it two times in all the Scriptures. And it's in correlation with this idea of taking a human being and elevating them. That's why we have more than one person on 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 this platform, and I, we're not saying that that having a pastor. Oh, that's wrong. That's not that, that's, that's not what we're saying. But it it keeps us far from that elevation of one human being, because it is so dangerous. The danger of it is very simple. The danger of it is this that that we then dethrone the Lord Jesus Christ from His God-given role as head of the church. And we begin to look. It's the propensity of human nature that we begin to look to a man. Priest. Sometimes even pastors. These people can be uh, elevated and, and, and brought up to levels that they shouldn't ought be. You see... So the only thing in all of Scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ says I hate is that very issue. Because what it does is dethrones His Son. This is my beloved Son. He said, Hear ye Him. I keep saying there's one theme that drives through these seven churches. And I'll keep saying it again. It, 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 this same theme is this this, this natural bend, if, if human beings get together, this natural bend to begin to, 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 to depend upon themselves. And by doing that, they're dethroning the head of the church. And by doing that, they're depowering the church. There is no power anymore. And, and then the problems begin to arise and they wonder, whoa, 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 where did we get our base here? Because you had lost the head the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see, in Pergamos, unlike Ephesus, they they fell for this. They fell for this doctrine, this thing that had developed from from deeds to a doctrine. They fell for this whole thing. And they began to elevate humanity And and where, where the Lord Jesus Christ said, listen, I paid for your right to come into the very throne room of God with My blood, And no one has any right to take that away. And when we begin to take people and bring them up, that is what normally happens. And so in some churches, you actually go into someone and you confess your sins to them. Where in Scripture? Where in Scripture? Well, I know in Scripture. I know in Scripture because the Lord Jesus Christ says, I hate that! Every time they do it. I hate that. Why are they going to Him? Come to me. It's an open door. You see the danger. You see the danger. In all the churches, we've got to watch ourselves. That we don't fall into these same traps. We we begin to look at something. Oh my, He's really got it on fire for the Lord. Boy, He can really... Oh, give me a break. We're all on level ground. We're standing at the foot of the cross. We're all looking up into the face of the Lord Jesus Christ who was spit on and, and beaten and bruised and, and the blood was pouring down His head from the, from the, the thorns that were driven into His brow. That's, that's where we're at. It's all level ground. Don't let anyone take away your position as paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. You can go right into the very throne room God any time of the day or night. The doors open and be with the Lord. And so, we have Pergamos. I'm going to skip over to Philadelphia because there's something I want to point out here that I, th- I think is is fairly important. Philadelphia, of course, is a good one. You know, they, there's nothing condemning said about Philadelphia. They they really were uh, going on well for the Lord and and doing things right and uh, and ve- very evangelistic minded. It says, "And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write." These things sayeth he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David. In other words, he has absolute authority. That's what it's saying. He has absolute authority in this whole thing. And then we're going to find out that he says, And he that openeth, and no man shutteth. And shutteth, and no man openeth. Wow. Isn't that great? You know, so it's something to remember that, that, that He's the one opening the doors. We, we we have a gathering here, and and if we think that we're going to go out and we're going to uh, establish this and establish that, let the Lord establish it. Let the Lord open the door. Let the Lord shut the door. Let Him have His place as absolute sovereign in this gathering. We'll be the more well for it. And no man can shut it, for Thou hast little strength. Now, this is eight. This is. Uh, the ingredients to a successful church. Now listen to this. It doesn't sound like the world. Listen to what it says. It says, And no man can shut it, for thou hast little strength. Now, does the world? that's what the world says. You know, I, I want to find somebody with little strength. No, it, but, but that's what the Lord says. Little strength and dependence upon self means absolute, absolute faith and dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. When I am weak, then I am strong. I go out in His strength, and so these are ingredients for success. It says, oh, "That's a little strength, and has kept my word, and has not denied my name." There's there's good ingredients for success right there. That 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 was the Philadelphia Church. This church was not uh, rich. In fact, they were very poor. They didn't have much of this world's goods, so to speak. And it says, um, uh, and not, behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan which say uh, they are Jews and are not, but do lie, behold, I will make them to come and to worship before thy feet and to know that I loved thee. Because thou hast kept my word of my patience, I also will keep thee. From the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, as far as this opening doors and closing doors, and and you wonder, well, where do you get this stuff about Philadelphia uh, going out and and preaching the gospel? And we're very fervent in that and and, and, and seeing people say, remember I told you about the Ephesus church? They were also involved in that. The strong churches, those who are mature churches, they're going to look beyond their own selves and they're going to begin to open the doors of the church and they're going to go out and they're going to begin to preach and proclaim that gospel. We do that in many different ways here in the boulevard. But most of it is just you personally. You personally looking beyond the bad day you're having, the difficult time you're having, all the stress and, 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 and difficulties that you're facing in the days, and looking beyond all that and seeing that individual over there who is lost and destined for hell. Now that's a tough thing. Because we tend to get wrapped up in our own little day, and our own little life, and our own little problems, and, and all the activities of the day. And so we just forget. We look at that person and, and basically they come into our life, they walk into our life and we haven't even got time for them. It's like, you're bothering me. Don't you see? I've got difficulties here. That's not the heart. That's not the Philadelphia heart. That's not the heart of the Ephesians. That that That's that's the natural heart. And, and we need to get beyond that to the point where we actually see people, uh, if they're not saved, we see people that they're actually going to end up going to hell if they don't know the Lord. And it says this, open door, closed door. And I, And I just want to dwell upon that for just a little bit here. Um, uh, where did I? Uh, I've lost my my way here. Oh yes, um, Acts chapter fourteen. This is where they get this. Um, Acts chapter fourteen and verse twenty-seven. Um, 14, 27. And it says this, and, and when they were come, and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God. This is after one of the missionary journeys. They rehearsed all that God had done with them, and how He had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And so, Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter two, uh, and verse, or First Corinthians chapter sixteen and verse nine. Let's go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and and verse 9. And it says this, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many ad- adversaries. So the the opening of these doors uh, and there 's other portions as well you can go to second uh, excuse me uh, second Corinthians chapter two, verse twelve, and Colossians chapter four, verse three. They always seem to be connected with the ability to go and proclaim the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the whole idea is that God is the one who opens those doors you know it 's a good thing as I go out you know sometimes I go out and you know you go door to door and you, and you go to the door and they don 't have the time of day for you, and you feel like, man alive, I feel kind of rejected you know oh, gee. You know, But you know what? I'm not there to save them. All we are is vehicles to, to bring the good news. And and when they slam the door in your face, I don't have time for you. And I, Boom! They slam the door in your face. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the Gospel. But on the other hand, if that individual really does come to a, a good grasp of of, of of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not you either. You didn't open the door. You didn't close the door. He opens And anything that he opens, ain't going to be closed. He closes doors. Anything that's closed, ain't going to be open. And so we have this whole principle of open door, closed door, when it comes to Philadelphia. And these individuals were going out, and they were going out on the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were preaching and proclaiming the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me go back. My portion and it says this, I know their works, behold uh, excuse me, verse number nine, behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. behold, I will make uh, make them to come and worship before thy feet, and I know that I love thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold this fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the name of the uh, which is in Jerusalem, uh, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so these were faithful believers. These were vibrant believers. These were believers that went on well in their relationship with the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're commended for their position there. And then Laodicea. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of all creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I believe this is a condemned church, as a whole, as as believers. I, I believe that there was a a point where these were absolutely condemned. They're absolutely absorbed into the world system, and they were condemned. Neither hot nor cold. You know, I'd rather he said that, that you were hot or you were cold, but. Because you were lukewarm, I, I, it, the word is really vomit. That's how strong it is. The, the King James kind of makes it a little nicer sounding, but that's really what the, the Greek word is. It means I'll spew you. I will vomit you out of my mouth. They absolutely made the Lord Jesus Christ sick. And, and this was the wealthy church. This was the church that 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 had all the money and 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 they had the beautiful building and and they had all the fixtures and 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 they really had need of nothing. They say that There was an earthquake in Laodicea at one point. And and after this earthquake, uh, the Roman government came in and and stepped in and said, you need help to rebuild. And the Laodiceans, in all their wealth and in all their pride, they said, we need nothing. Go home, Rome. And that's the kind of pride that that permeated this church. It was sort of a a self-sufficient kind of a situation. Watch out. Watch out, sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? When we begin to, to depend upon our wherewithal and all the things we have, rather than depending on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Satan is always trying a different angle. And this is just another angle where he could get them uh, uh, sidetracked from the central place and the central focus, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. having a form of godliness you see but but denying the power from such turn away you see they claim the name of Christ and, and yet they were so wrapped up in their own wealth and and their their they completely lost their power it's even said that they they brought in a, a, other other forms of idolatry again and they, they try to blend them in with Christianity and, and it's such an awful blend, isn't it? Ecumenicalism. Watch out for that one because that, that's what we have in our day. And it, it's the same as they, they had in Thyatira and Sardis. The same kind of things that we weren't able to go over. But it's the same kind of thing that we're going to be tempted with. Oh, everybody's got good points. I I talked to a young lady recently, and 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 I asked her, "Are you are you born again? Are you are you saved? Are you a Christian?" And she got this kind of irritated look on her face, and then she began to to tell me the gospel. I said, "Wow, that's pretty impressive. You seem to know the gospel really well." Yeah, but you know, I don't like you guys. Oh, what do you mean by that? Because it. What about the Buddhists? What about those who believe in Islam? Are they all just cast off? I mean, listen. I have No, this is what you said. I have my way. My, my way, I believe through Jesus Christ I'm going to be uh, you know, brought to heaven. But, but, but I believe their way is just as valid. Well, that's the kind of hogwash that we see in some of these churches. The very same thing. I could find this little story. I'll end with this because I'm already over time. A day of celebration, they called it. It was the PFLAG. That stands for parents and friends of lesbians and gays. Now this is a strange thing. O Wesley Oh, roll over in your grave. Because it was it was held in a Methodist church. You see, of course Wesley gave us the method, right? And it's actually Bill Clinton's church, is what it is. That this this day of celebration was held, and and the speaker was a man named John Spong. And he came out and he began to ridicule the Christmas story to begin with. And then he was speculating as to whether the Lord Jesus Christ, I hate to even say this, but it's part of his little spiel, whether the Lord Jesus Christ was a drag queen. And after he got done, the, the pastor of that particular church got up and, and he was asked, what do you think about what was said here today? Well, I really can't refute it, he said. Many of it makes, much of it makes good sense, he said. You see how the, it, it, it can become such a slosh bucket that it's nothing? There, there's nothing left of it anymore. And that's what's happening that's what's happening all around us. We've got to be very careful of these kind of things. And uh, there was another man who was in the, uh, state, uh, in the thing uh, and he was witnessing all that was going on and he said that he witnessed uh, homosexual couples holding and kissing each other and, and they prayed to the spirits of the Lord Jesus Christ and Buddha and Muhammad. They just prayed to everybody. Uh, everybody's, you know, it's different ways. You choose yours. I choose mine. No one's wrong. This isn't new. if you study out these churches you'll find out that this is the very same things that are going on during Pergamos, Constantine introduced some of the most horrible things. this stuff isn't new. are we going to stand up for the truth though I'm not saying some sort of a political statement I'm not here to, to politicize the thing I, I don't I do that's far from me I could I don't like that. But are we going to stand up for the truth? Pretty soon you're going to be challenged on your views of homosexuality. I guarantee you. And they're going to get right in your face. And when you stand for the truth in accordance with homosexuality, you may end up paying. Oh, it's not here yet. But it's coming. It's right around the corner. Nothing's new under the sun. And we see these things now. We saw them then. They continue on because we have one great enemy. And he's sort of that factor that stands through it all. His name is Satan. And he continues to work. And he continues to work here. He's not interested in, 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 the, in the pagans that are sitting down in the bar getting themselves drunk. He doesn't care about them. They're already his. He's got, a, he's got a big interest in the Boulevard Bible Chapel. I guarantee you. We've got to watch ourselves. What was it about the Philadelphians? They were strong in the Word. Weren't they? They were strong in the Word. That's what we need to be, strong in the Word. Look at it. See it. Recognize His truths and then stand up for Him. Not be weak. We didn't really get to cover all the churches. I understand that. But just a few thoughts that came out of some of these churches. And just remembering that the Lord Jesus Christ is standing in the midst. He's right there in the midst. And He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still there. He's still there. He's still here. He's still watching. It behooves us to to live by faith and 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 less by our own sight and by our own strength and 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 give the Lord Jesus Christ his rightful place. He is the head of the church. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the Word of God. We give you thanks for the warnings that we are given in it. We give you thanks that you've you've unveiled to us what you desire, what you want, what you want to see. We just pray that we'd have the the insight enough to to follow it. And we'd look to the Lord Jesus Christ in all that we do and say. We give you thanks, Father, for each individual here this evening. We pray for the families that are here. We pray your blessing upon them as they as they walk through a world that is is becoming more and more against the Christians. That we'd stand up for the Word of God. We give you thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ. He stood up. He died in our place in order that we might have life. We give you thanks now and ask that you would part us with that blessing. Give us a safe journey on the way home. In the Lord Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.